That's wonderful. Thanks, Pastor Kathy, for these announcements. And uh, it is just a wonderful pleasure to have you joining with us this morning. And like Pastor Kathy said, we're in this new series. And so we're going to jump right in. Apologetics, are you sure? And the topic this morning is atheism. And so this is something that I hope that you can share with a friend, share with a family member, maybe somebody you've been, who's in your sphere of influence that you've been talking with. I trust that even today you might share this on your Facebook. You might send it by message to a friend who's searching, looking for answers. Uh, but I really believe that God is going to speak to us and through us over the next four weeks of this series. I want to draw your attention to the scripture for this morning. Would you stand in honor of the reading of God's word? Our scripture portion this morning is Psalm 14, verses 1 to 7. And the scripture will be on your screen in front of you. And so we're going to read this together in one voice. And I love the scripture. I think this is very relevant for us today as we navigate this difficult topic. Let's read together. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, their deeds are vile, and there is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on all humankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. All have turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Do all these evildoers know nothing? They devour my people as though eating bread. They never call on the Lord. For there they are, overwhelmed with dread, for God is present in the company of the righteous. You evildoers frustrate the plans of the poor, but the Lord is their refuge. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion when the Lord restores his people. Let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for Psalm 14 that is speaking to our hearts and to our lives today. Father, today, as we craft a Christian response towards the atheist, Father, I pray that you would multiply your word. That even as this message goes forth on the internet, I pray that it reach places that we could never reach by the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray that even now, people will tune into this message. People who do not believe that there is a God. And they may discover and find out today for themselves that the truth sets them free. There is a God and his name is Jesus. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. And no one comes to the Father but through him. So Father, today, speak to your people. Father, I submit myself into your hands. Father, would you speak in and through me your words of life that bring life to dead people, to dead places, oh God. So Father, we know that you're powerful. We know that you speak through your word this morning. And we know that it never returns void. We're believing today that people will come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ throughout this entire series. We put our faith and our trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, amen. You may be seated. Well, let me preface this message this morning by saying that I'm approaching this topic as a pastor and not as an apologist. I'm, I'm approaching it as a person who recognizes that he's speaking primarily to Christians, but I am keeping in mind that there may be a few atheists out there who might hear this message, and our hope is that you would hear our heart today, that you'd hear the heart of God through the Word of God. 
According to Pew Research's 2018 Global Attitudes Survey, three out of ten people that you encounter in the world on a daily basis are atheists. Eight percent of Canadians consider themselves atheists, five percent consider themselves agnostics, and 16 percent consider themselves nothing in particular. Some have estimated that the atheist transition, whereby the majority of our country's population becoming secularized, will take place between the years of 2035 to 2038. The leading voices of atheism today are known as the four horsemen of new atheism. The first is Richard Dawkins, who believes that people who believe in God are totally delusional. This is what he says, we are all atheists about most of our gods that humanity has ever believed in. Some of us just go one God further. Sam Harris is another one of these individuals and he addresses the terminology when he said, atheism is a term that should not even exist. Atheism is nothing more than the noises reasonable people make in the presence of unjustified religious beliefs. Daniel Dennett, he finds zero-sum value in religion, in Christianity even. You don't get to advertise all the good that your religion does without first scrupulously subtracting all the harm that it does and considering seriously the question of whether some other religions or no religion at all does better. Christopher Hitchens, he focuses on the necessity for empirical evidence, that that which can be asserted without evidence can be dismissed without evidence. These leading atheists are also very quick to criticize parents who indoctrinate their children with their own religious ideas of God, and then they hinder the children from making rational, logical, and evidence-based decisions for themselves. Ultimately, the atheist exalts the brain only to neglect the soul. Before we get into our text this morning, we need to better understand the form and the structure of the psalm that we're observing. See, to our surprise, Psalm 14 is almost identical to another psalm, Psalm 53. So let's take a moment to briefly compare these two psalms together. The first thing that we notice is that Psalm 53 is set to a different tune than Psalm 14. So there's some musical attributes here. Psalm 14 notes for the director of music of David, while Psalm 53 notes for the director of music according to Mahalalath, a masculine of David. So in other words, both psalms are attributed, yes, to David, But Psalm 53 is clearly set to a different tune. And if it's set to a different tune, it has a different mood. It has a different form of expression, communication to the people who are hearing it or singing it. Psalm 14 is likely an a cappella, whether it be sung or recited, while Psalm 53 is more of a musical composition. Psalm 88 is the only other psalm which is set to the same tune, according to Mahalath. Other examples of tunes in the Bible include according to Shimoneth, according to Githith, according to Alamoth. 
But this would be similar to the popular hymn tunes like the old 100th that were used to sing a variety of psalms. So you could use the tune to sing any form of scripture. The tunes were memorable and made music accessible for musically illiterate people. So if you knew the tune, you could simply replace the lyrics and sing the song with other people. The second thing that we notice is that Psalm 53 is a different type of song than Psalm 14. Though the lyrical content might be the same, it has a different intention in mind. And though the scripture is almost identical, the way it is sung is different. See, Psalm 53 is one of 13 masculines in the book of Psalms. And this collection includes Psalm 32, 42, 44, 45, 52, 53, 54, 55, 74, 78, 88, 89, and 142. And this is not about the tune or the instrumentation of the psalm, but about the spirit, about the tone of the song. Walter Brueggemann, a great Old Testament commentator, uh, he, has, he believes that a masculine is an artistic and instructive poem. Unfortunately, we are still unable to fully understand the full meaning of all these technical terms in ancient Hebrew literature, in song, and in poetry. So this morning, I would like to examine the way God spoke and continues to speak through the psalmist in Psalm 14 and in Psalm 53 in order to respond to today's atheists. And I want to highlight today the foolishness, the falsehood, the fate, and the futureless reality for those who declare themselves to be atheists today. Let's begin with foolishness. We see this in verse 1 to 2. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on all humankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. See, Christians should not criticize or condemn the atheists, but they must plead with the atheists to believe in Jesus Christ. And in order to do this, we need to learn how to communicate what we believe and why we believe it. And that's probably one of the major problems we have as Christians. We don't sincerely know what we believe because we fail to read the Word of God and we fail to study it in totality. We must take time to thoughtfully answer their questions. We must spend time talking together, engaging in more conversation instead of less conversation. What seems to happen? Christians meet an atheist and they say, well, I guess I can't have this conversation with you. As the Apostle Paul said in Colossians 1.27, they must see Christ in us, the hope of glory. Now, you hear the word foolish this morning, or fool, and you automatically think dumb, inept, silly, clown, buffoon, but that is not what that text means, what that word means. The Hebrew word for fool is nebal. And James L. Mays tells us that a nebal is a person who, whether shrewd or powerful, makes a mistake about reality. So being foolish is all about making a mistake. The atheist has simply built their worldview on the wrong assumptions. 
How do we know this? We must look into Scripture. For there is a man in Scripture named Nabal in 1 Samuel 25. Nabal was the husband of Abigail, who would later become King David's wife after he died. 1 Samuel 25.3, we read a general statement about this man, Nabal. Her husband, Abigail's husband, was surly and mean in his dealings. This wasn't a great guy. Nabal rejected David's greeting. He pretended he did not even know who King David was. He, was, uh, he wondered why he should even bother feeding David and his men. Nabal's lack of hospitality was a total insult to David. Nabal failed to reciprocate hospitality to David for the protection of his own flocks. In 1 Samuel 25, verse 17, Abigail described her own husband. He is a wicked man that no one should talk to him. Then in 1 Samuel 25, verse 25, Abigail pleaded with David not to commit bloodshed and avenge. Please pay no attention, my Lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name. His name means fool, and folly goes with him. The summary of Nabal's life is that he lived up to the meaning of his name. He made assumptions about David and his men. As Nabal questioned who is David in verse 10, I couldn't help but in my mind think of the atheist who would question, who is this God? The atheist lives in the same reality that you and I live. The atheist has to make many of the same life choices that you and I make, but in free will, the atheist choose to reject the God that you and I serve. From a worldly point of view, the atheist is the wise one, and we believers are the foolish ones. In 1 Corinthians 1, 27 to 29, the Apostle Paul explains how the kingdom of God is the very opposite of the kingdom of this world. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. I want to draw your attention to the second part of verse 2. And even though the atheist does not believe that God exists, David is here depicting a God who is seated in the heavenly realms, looking down on the earthly realm, looking upon his creation, specifically humankind. And he's searching. Due to our human finitude, no one is able to be where God is and see things from his point of view. Wouldn't that solve the problem for all the atheists? However, God is willing to meet with anyone who will seek him. To the atheist, I say to you today, what if you have been the one that has been fooled all this time? If God is real, ask him to reveal himself to you. Do not ask as a skeptic, but ask as one who is truly seeking the truth. Do not quit prematurely. Wait and see for yourself. Instead of doing all the talking, Take some time to do some listening. And as the prophet in Isaiah 55, 6 said, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. There is a day and there is a time when he will not be found and when he will not be near. And then it will be too late. But I believe you can hold on to him and to his promises. If you seek him, you will surely find him. 
Second point this morning is falsehood. We find this in verses 3 to the beginning of verse 4. The scripture says, all have turned away, all have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Do all these evildoers know nothing? Let's remove the filter of atheism for a moment and let's reduce everybody to a base level of their humanity. There is one thing that we all have in common and it's that both even Christian and non-Christian alike are naturally bent on evil. And if we knew how to stop doing evil, wouldn't we just stop being evildoers? But the falsehood that an atheist builds upon is that someone who does not believe in God can actually be good. Evil and sin is the very proof that we do not know everything and only know very little in life. Therefore, there is this gap in the atheist's own knowing that can cause them to omit an awareness of and a knowledge of the living God. We are more alike than we actually think we're different. We are made up of the same stuff. We have the same shortcomings. The Apostle Paul, he quoted Psalm 14, verse 3, and Psalm 53, verse 3, in Romans 3, verse 9 to 12. And he says this, Not at all, for we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. A Christian that believes that they have found the truth does not consider themselves greater than the one who has not found the truth or believes in another truth. In fact, we look back and we remember who we once were and what we once did in our former lives prior to coming to a knowledge and a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. The question is not about can atheists do good or can Christians do bad. It is about who we are in the eyes of our maker. He alone is good. So he must stand, we must stand in his goodness instead of manufacturing our own goodness. Verse 1 and verse 3, they speak about our total corruption and the absence of goodness. See, every Christian was once an atheist. Isn't that true? All of us were once without Christ, making us persons who did not believe in God, people who were absent from a relationship with God. And though we believe that every person that has lived, in, lived is made in God's image, we are not hardwired to automatically just be, believe in God. It's not a default setting in us. Even if you grew up in a Christian home and you were indoctrinated with Christian values, every person must decide for themselves using their own free will whether they will believe and have faith in God or not. It's your choice. It's not your parents' choice. It's not your grandparents' choice. Let me speak to the youth and young adults today, even the children. This has to be your decision. Consider what Solomon the wisest man that ever lived said in Ecclesiastes 3.11, he has also set eternity into the human heart. See, there is a God-given longing in every person for something more beyond a life without God. And we're all in search of this. And yet sometimes we don't even know we're in search of it. 
God has provided sufficient evidence for his existence. However, that evidence is often rejected by the atheist. The Apostle Paul, he explains this in Romans 1.20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what, he, what has been made, so that people are without excuse. Therefore, God did not create atheism. It is a construct that humans have created because every human has experienced God's general revelation. They are not without excuse. They have seen the world around them. And this is evidence that God is real. His general revelation, what he has created, is to lead us to his special revelation, which is a knowledge and a relationship with God, our creator and our savior and our redeemer and our Lord, his son, Jesus Christ. There are three options for the atheist. The first is the atheist knows that God exists, but suppresses and ignores it. So this is the willful removal of it from our minds in Romans 1 21. Second, the atheist has entirely darkened their heart towards a relationship with God together. They say, it's not possible. I'm not going to let my heart open itself up to a God. And third, the atheist has exchanged the truth of God for a lie that there is no God. And this great exchange has taken place with the world and that individual to accept the world's way instead of God's way. Either they are not being true to themselves, they are being deceived by some falsehood, or they have created a cognitive block in their own minds. So what do we do as Christians? We pray for atheists. We befriend atheists. We love atheists. We plead with the atheists to follow Jesus Christ. We pray against the falsehoods that the enemy has placed on their eyes, on their hearts, in their ears, in their mind, and in their soul. We plead with them not to believe a lie, but not to be persuaded by falsehood, but to believe in the truth. All we can do is pray and persuade. The rest is God's work in their life, their decision for their life. The third point this morning is faith. We see this in the second half of verse 4 all the way to verse 6. They devour my people as though eating bread. They never call on the Lord. But there they are, overwhelmed with dread. For God is present in the company of the righteous. You evildoers frustrate the plans of the poor, but the Lord is their refuge. So as we look at both Psalm 14 and Psalm 53, it's important to note that while they are the same for many reasons, they're also different. Alan P. Ross, he observes that Psalm 14 seems to focus on comfort for the faithful, but Psalm 53 offers more of a warning to the wicked, so they're different in the middle. That means God wants to speak different messages to the Christian atheist, to the Christian and to the atheist. There's a message for us, and there's a message for those who do not believe. And it is at this point that we need to observe the main difference between Psalm 14 and Psalm 53. And it's found first in Psalm 14, verse 5, the tail end of verse 5 into verse 6, which adds, For God is present in the company of the righteous. You evildoers frustrate the plans of the poor, but the Lord is their refuge. And Psalm 53 
at the second half of verse 5, which adds, God scatters the bones of those who attacked you. You put them to shame, for God despised them. This is the main difference between these two chapters of Scripture. We must be honest about what is going to happen to the atheists. You see, the spirit of unbelief within them causes them to attack those who believe. Who is the opponent of the atheist? It's the believer. Atheists are prone to persecute Christians. And Christians always seem to be on the defense instead of on the offense with the atheists. Persecution is not in the form of a physical attack, but it's a verbal attack. This is how they devour God's people, with the power of their tongue. What happens when God's people find themselves in this vulnerable position, under attack by the atheists? God presences himself in the midst of the righteous. God is right there with you. God will be present in your conversation. God will be in your midst. And he will overwhelm the atheists with dread, for they find themselves not only fighting against believers, but they find themselves fighting against the God they disbelieved in. Our prayers for the atheists is that they will discover that they had been foolish before it is too late to repent. Nevertheless, the God who they deny is the God who will destroy. And I think of Joshua's words, and Pastor Chris Flynn actually said it earlier this morning, but if serving, in Joshua 24, 15, it, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, but ask for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As atheists try to shame those whom they afflict, they discover that God is a refuge to those who placed their trust in him. While the attacks may come and the arrows may come, we are surrounded by God. We have a refuge in him. Whether the atheist believes it or not, their fate in life is destruction unless they turn from their wicked ways and they acknowledge God in heaven. If you find yourself not believing in God today and you're hearing my voice, I want to plead with you today to reconsider today before it's too late. Maybe tomorrow, we don't know. There is a day coming when God will judge unbelievers, among them atheists. And we do not want you to experience the wrath of God when you can experience the manifold grace of God that we ourselves have experienced. We want you to have the joy that we have. We want you to have the love that we share and we enjoy. We want you to know the peace that we have that's found in Jesus. Fourth this morning is future. Find this in verse 7. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord restores his people, let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. The atheist has no hope for the future because they have fixated themselves on the present. And Christians must exude confidence about future promises from God. The second coming of Jesus Christ will be the telltale evidence that will be able to disprove every atheist out there. When Christ comes, he will make all things right again. In other words, God is not done yet. He is not the first mover who winds up a machine and lets it run on its own. He is not detached, but is personally involved in his creation. 
History is moving towards its culmination, but that end is not entropy. Unlike the atheist who discredits the creation account, we believe that God didn't simply create the world. He will recreate the world with a new heaven and a new earth. This is the future we look forward to, while the atheist is only looking at the present. This is what makes him the alpha and the omega. This is what makes him the first and the last. The end is just as important as the beginning. There should be hope then among Christians that atheists will turn to Christ. And I want you to start believing for people who have given up on God, people who believe that there is no God. I want you to believe for them. I want you to stand in the gap for their salvation. I want you to pray day and night for them that they would not be lost, but they would be saved, that they would be found in Christ. Our calling then is to go and tell while their choice is to believe or not believe. And verse 7 tells us the people of God must expect salvation and restoration. This is what we are expecting. Right out of the scriptures, we're expecting salvation and restoration in the lives of atheists. The church should celebrate. The church should rejoice. The church should be glad whenever this happens. And we need to get back to our Pentecostal distinctives, friends. We need to become more Pentecostal by sharing testimonies, especially when the Lord has transformed an atheist into a theist. We need to celebrate those moments. Because you know what? If we fail to celebrate those moments, we will miss the opportunity to lead more and more people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. May God put a longing in our hearts to see the spiritually lost be found, the spiritually blind see, and spiritually deaf hear. As I conclude this morning, as the worship team prepares to come, in his 1677 classic Christian allegory, A Pilgrim's Progress, author John Bunyan creatively encapsulates the journey of every Christian in one book. He strategically names each character by the literal role that they play in the narrative. Christian, the pilgrim, sits off on a journey from his home, hometown, the city of destruction, to the celestial city. And after the martyrdom of his fellow pilgrim named Faithful, he is joined by a new pilgrim named Hopeful. And along the way, they meet a variety of people who influence their journey. And I want to read a few lines from their encounter with the man named Atheist. And you'll see the picture of Atheist on the screen and on your screen from A Pilgrim's Progress. Now, after a while, they perceived afar off one coming softly and alone all along the highway to meet them. Then said Christian to his fellow, Yonder is a man with his back towards Zion, and he is coming to meet us. Hopeful. I see him. Let us take heed to ourselves now, lest he should prove a flatterer also. So he drew near and near, and at last came up unto them, and his name was Atheus, and he asked them whither they were going. Christian, we are going to Mount Zion. Then Atheist fell into a very great laughter. Christian, what is the meaning of your laughter? Atheist, I laugh to see what ignorant persons you are, to take upon you so tedious a journey, and you are like to have nothing but your travel for your pains. Christian, 
Why, man, do you think we shall not be received? Atheist, received? There is no such place as you dream of in all of this world. Christian, but there is in the world to come. Atheist, when I was at home in mine own country, I heard as you now affirm, and from that hearing went out to sea and have been seeking the city this 20 years, but find no more of it than I did the first day I set out. Christian, we have both heard and believe that there is such a place to be found. Atheist, had not I, when at home believed, I had not come thus far to seek, but finding none, and yet I should, had there been such a place to be found, for I have gone to seek it further than you, I am going back again and will seek to refresh myself with the things that I then cast away, for hopes of that which I now see is not." Christian, then said Christian to hopeful his fellow, is, is it true which this man had said? Hopeful's gracious answer, take heed, he is one of the flatterers. Remember what it hath cost us once already for our hearkening to such kind of fellows. What, no Mount Zion? Did we not see from the delect, delectable mountains the gate of the city? Also, are we not now to walk by faith? Let us go on, said Hopeful, lest the man with the whip overtake us again. Christian, my brother, I did not put the question to thee for that. I doubted of the truth of our belief myself, but to prove thee and to fetch from thee a, fruitful, a fruit of the honesty of thy heart. As for this man, I know he is blinded by the God of this world. Hopeful. Now do I rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So they turned away from the man, and he, laughing at them, went his way. It's a beautiful piece of literature. It's a beautiful story of the Christian life. And I want to remind you today of the influence of the atheist. They might think that they know where they're going. They might think that they've gone farther than you, but they actually have no clue, and they are lost themselves. Just because the atheist in their search has not found God does not mean that you cannot find God. And unlike the atheist, if you will seek the Lord with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, I promise you today that He will be found. You just need to turn your eyes upon the name of Jesus. You just need to seek him with all your heart for he is the way and he is the truth and he is the life. So to the person who says there is no God, I believe that you're believing a lie. I believe that your fate is destruction. I believe that your future is hopeless. I believe that you're operating out of foolishness. But here's the thing, today, you can change your trajectory. Today, you can make a decision to follow Jesus and all of your past will no longer define you and you'll begin a new life in Jesus with the eternal hope of being with him one day soon. Let's pray.